Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler, and look, bottom line today, guys, I know it is a little bit of a somber Monday, a frustrating Monday, a pissed-off Monday, but at the end of the day, 38-31 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles in Week 8 at home to push Washington to now 3-5, and five, and more so... 0-3 in the NFC East. As we sit here on Monday morning, there's been no moves yet. Do not expect a fire sale in Washington as far as Montez Sweat, Chase Young, Antonio Gibson, John Allen, Curtis Samuel, everybody just leaving town. And from what I saw yesterday and what this episode is going to be focused on is the positives. Because when I look at this organization right now, there are questions up top. I still have a lot of questions surrounding Ron Rivera from a coaching perspective, from a time management perspective, and absolutely from defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio from what we saw yesterday, again, allowing the Eagles and another NFL offense to score nearly 40 points. Because many positives as there were yesterday on the offensive side of the football, which is where most of the positives for Washington have come this year, and it's what was expected with Eric Bieniemy in town with these skilled players. The defense continues to lack. Because at the end of the day, through four quarters, Washington allowed 38 points. On a positive, in that first half, Washington held the Eagles to five yards rushing. Five guys. Not 50, not 15, 5. It was the fewest in a first half for them since 2015. Eight years ago. That was a positive from this defense in the first half with that front four, limiting DeAndre Swift, Jalen Hurts, really outside of that first series to where Hurts escaped on that third and seven where Chase Young got too far upfield. We saw that a couple times yesterday. Not being disciplined in his rush lanes. What we've talked about a lot from these edge defenders and playing these athletic quarterbacks the first month and a half of the season. He got too far upfield at times against Jalen Hurts, who, by the way, is not 100%. He's been dealing with that knee bruise for the last month. He was limping the entire football game yesterday, but he went out there and still threw for 319 yards, did not turn the ball over through the air, and threw four touchdowns. Two to A.J. Brown, one to Devonta Smith, and one to the newly signed Julio Jones. But when I look at Washington yesterday, and I look at number 14 under center, and I look at the changes that Eric Bieniemy made along this offensive line yesterday, Tyler Larson at center, Nick Gates, put your ass on the bench, Chris Paul at left guard, Sadiq Charles on IR, Ricky Stromberg went out in that game with a knee injury early. It's unfortunate. Hope he's okay. But what I saw from the changes early in that football game 
I loved it. Tyler Larson is a bigger body, not as quick, if you want to say that, from a Nick Gates, compared to Nick Gates, but he was excellent. No missed snaps, really no missed assignments, stunts and twists were picked up. There weren't a ton from Philadelphia yesterday. It was a lot of just attack downhill in your gaps. But everything that I saw from the front five yesterday, allowing Sam Howell just a little bit of time, it's amazing what we can see from this offense and this quarterback, really in his rookie season, away from one start last year. 31 points. 397 yards through the air, four touchdowns, and of course that lone interception to Reed Blankenship where he just sailed it over Terry McLaurin's head just a little bit. At that time, obviously, it hurt. But when I microscoped Sam Howell yesterday... If you are not sold on Sam Howell and his ability to operate this offense with the skilled players that are present under Eric Bieniemy's tutelage, getting the ball out quick to the perimeter, hitting Logan Thomas over the middle of the field, and then taking your calculated deep shots, and his ball placement when you get to that 15, 20, 25-yard range of the offense was outstanding. The touchdown to Terry McLaurin, the only person in that stadium that could have caught that ball was Terry McLaurin. The Logan Thomas touchdown. The only person that could have caught that ball at FedEx Field yesterday in the middle portions of the end zone was Logan Thomas, throwing it around the defender. He's throwing receivers open, and he's putting the ball in places to where only his guy can get it. And it was so nice to just see him comfortable in the pocket. When his back foot was planted in that dirt yesterday, the ball was out, it was on time, he was confident, and he was accurate. And there was zip to all depths. Everyone was involved yesterday away from Curtis Samuel, who was banged up in that ball game. Entered the game ball game. Entered the game banged up. Four catches for 22 yards for Curtis Samuel. Jahan Dotson, happy to see Washington's first round pick get involved for the last two weeks. Ten targets, eight catches, 108 yards, and he got in the end zone in that first half. Jamison Crowder, hello Jamison Crowder, caught all seven of his targets For 95 yards and a touchdown, including that late garbage time touchdown. Beautiful diving catch. Beautiful throw from Sam Howell rolling out to his left. Terry McLaurin led the team in targets with 12. So he and Jahan Dotson combined for 22 targets yesterday. I love to see that. Those are your guys. Feed your athletes. Crossers and over routes are what we're going to see from this offense. What we've seen in the past and what we're going to see moving forward. Athletes in space. The hardest route to cover in football is the crossing route. Why? Because you're having to chase guys across the field, whether you're in zone or in man. They're going into different zones. You're forcing teams to communicate on who's got who. And if you're in man, you're chasing a 4-3 Terry McLaurin across the field. Not easy to do. Don't care if you run a 4-2 or not. It's hard to cover. Terry McLaurin, five catches, 63 yards, and a touchdown. His longest catch was 26. That touchdown catch. Loved it. The running game was not there yesterday. Brian Robinson only had 10 carries, but rushed it for 59 yards, about 6 yards a pop. What does that mean? Washington's front's getting a little bit of a push. I cannot say more about how I can tip my cap to Washington's offensive line yesterday because we all know how bad they've been the last month and a half. But finally, it's unfortunate that it took them 8 weeks, but finally, Washington is making some changes up front. I do not care how you acquired certain players. Day one draft capital, a late three, late day three draft flyer, UDFA. 
free agent, highly paid, or someone that you wanted to come in and just have depth. Competition never hurts at any level in any sport or really or anything in life. You have competition. It's only going to bring the best out of you. Chris Rodriguez was active yesterday. We saw him active against the Giants, right? Getting some carries. Didn't get a single carry yesterday, but he had 11 snaps on special teams. So he's at least doing something. Antonio Gibson remains really uninvolved. Two carries in the ground game and five targets through the air. It was really the most we've seen of Antonio Gibson almost the entire year in space where he's going to live. Logan Thomas, eight targets. Eight targets for Logan Thomas, six catches for 44 yards and a touchdown. 82 continues to show up. You guys know the limitations, but obviously he's showing up every single week. And he's getting featured within the 5 to 15 yard range of the offense. John Bates, really good job blocking yesterday. Cole Turner wasn't active. For you guys that were are surprised that Cole Turner wasn't active yesterday, I don't know what to say. Because I was not. Watch the tape. Understand who Cole Turner is as a player. For you guys that have listened to this podcast for the last few months, or even when Washington took Cole Turner, you guys knew my thoughts on Cole Turner. I understand he's big. I understand he can go over the top. But he has not shown the ability to block as a Y. Whether he's, I don't care if you flex him out near the line of scrimmage, standing up, or you got his hand in the dirt, can't block. And as a route runner, he's not running routes over Logan Thomas right now. And from a flex weapon perspective, not over Antonio Gibson. He has not shown any ability to separate over any type of defender since he entered the league from Nevada. You guys are really excited this summer about Cole Turner. Were there some flashes here and there? Sure. But everyone has a flash here and there. Think back to the days of Samus Reyes. Remember that tight end? Remember that name? The Chilean Hercules that was that came into Washington as this guy where nobody valued him and he was an international pathway program player and came into D.C. And everyone was like, oh, man, he looks like a, a stud. He looks like a, a diamond in the rough. Maybe he could come in and play. He's huge. He can run. The difference between being a good athlete and a good football player, guys, this is the highest level of the game. This isn't high school just pulling a guy off the streets and just throwing him in and expecting him to have six catches for, for 60, 70 yards and a touchdown for you. Than expecting to relocate a Hassan Reddick or a Brandon Graham yesterday. So Cole Turner being inactive not only is an eye opener for him, but for the guys, for you guys out there, if you were shocked that Cole Turner was inactive yesterday, please go back and watch the tape of who Cole Turner is. And if not, then go back to my prior podcast where I dive in to the tight end position of Cole Turner. And why he was struggling so much in Washington. But overall, this offense was a well-oiled machine yesterday. Now, didn't score any points in the third quarter. Was the Jahan Dotson drop on third and five? Was it actually a drop? Who the hell knows? We had it in week four. Was Terry's toe inbounds or not? The refs got a little bit too much involved yesterday for me. Not going to blame it on the refs because you ultimately create your own luck. But when the refs start to make the games a lot about themselves and the game flow is ruined and you don't let guys play football, which is what they're here to do, you start to get pissed off a little bit. 
Philadelphia had three penalties for 14 yards yesterday. Washington had seven for 79 yards. And it seemed like a lot more because of how high leverage the penalties were. Think back to the end of the first half. Joey Sly. You guys know the narrative around Joey Sly. Sometimes he's on, sometimes he's not. He'll make two or three field goals in a row from 51, 52 yards. Then he'll come back and miss two in a row from 35. He bangs one in from 56 at the end of the half. About a second after the the snap is off. Flag. False start, I believe it was, on Washington. So they move it from 56 to 61. What does he do? He bangs it through. Good for him. It was the longest field goal in franchise history. Don't forget that Washington is the only kicker that won MVP in NFL League history in Mark Mosley years and years and years ago. He never hit a 61-yarder. Again, that was the longest kick in franchise history at the end of the half. An end of the half where Washington needed that because of the momentum that they lost when the Eagles went down and scored with less than a minute to go on that 16-yard hookup from Jalen Hurts to A.J. Brown. So Washington needed that there. And that pushed the score to 17-10. So Washington was up a touchdown entering that second half. But I loved what I saw from this offense yesterday. And as you move into the next few weeks with New England and Seattle on the immediate horizon, I expect Washington to at least compete on offense. Because this is not the years past with Scott Turner running the offense to where we're we're trying to get above 15 points a game. And if you hit 20, holy hell. But now they're getting towards their scoring 24, 25 plus a week almost. When they play well, when they show up. But this is the potential that they have. And it really is unfortunate that the defense and the capital that you've used to add players on every level of your defense, you're continuing to allow so many points week after week after week. And the adjustments are flat out not there. You're still rushing four. The stunts and twists are not unique from week to week of what you're doing. The edge guys yesterday, I mentioned it at the top, were undisciplined in their rush lanes. The linebackers, there was no Cody Barton. There was a lot of David Mayo over the field. We saw very little of Khalid Hudson. I believe he had four or five snaps on defense yesterday, primarily on special teams. We saw Jabril Cox activated from the practice squad. He lived on special teams yesterday. The corners room, Benjamin St. Juiced, Kendall Fuller. Kendall Fuller, tip his cap, tip my cap to him again. His ability in the passing game, his ability to take down guys like Boston Scott in the open field, not easy because he's not the biggest guy in the world. But it's a willingness and he tackles with technique. And he usually brings the guys down. Benjamin St. Juice has been picked on these last few weeks. But there's a lot of flashes of him and his ability on the outside. And I like him starting on the perimeter for this Washington defense. Now, the flag on him for quote-unquote impeding, I believe it was A.J. Brown. What the hell is defense then? Because really, impeding is the definite or synonym of defense. And letting guys play. How the hell are you supposed to play defense in the NFL When you can't put a hand on a guy, you can't put your helmet on a guy, a shoulder pad on a guy. 
What is defense? You just drop back, give two, three yards of space, and allow a guy to just catch the ball, oh, and then try to make a tackle? That's what defense is? There's a contact window for a reason. You are able to have contact. I get it. Sometimes it can be more egregious than others. Hands to the face, things like that. But are we playing chess or are we playing football? Now, if you guys are Eagle fans out there, you're probably thinking I'm whining a little bit or I'm being ticky-tack. And some things should be said the same way for Philadelphia and some of their flags, if you want to call them that, yesterday. But when those flags were thrown against the commanders yesterday, they were in such high-leverage situations. And in moments where you are going up against A.J. Brown, a physical wide receiver himself, and you can't be physical, it's a shame to when you watch not just the Eagles and Commanders yesterday, but you watch any game, NFL, college, high school, whatever, to where if there's an incomplete pass of any variety and the ball hits the ground, you're waiting for a flag to be thrown within a second or two of the play ending. You never think, well, that's a hell of a play by the corner. It's always no flags, no flags, no flags. That's what you think in your head. Because corners and safeties are not linebackers, whoever's covering. They're not able to be physical at any part of a route with a receiver anymore and make a play on the football. God forbid a corner fights through the hands of a receiver from the backside. God forbid a corner halts a receiver at the line of scrimmage moving laterally so he can't get off the line of scrimmage. His hand may slip into his neck and they'll call an illegal uh, hands to the face. It's something every single game from really refs across football. It is football at the end of the day. And I just want to be able to see defensive players play defense. I get in some offensive game. The NFL wants teams to score points. Last week, 14-7 lost the Giants. It wasn't a fun game to watch. I get that. Yesterday was fun to watch, back and forth. It was like the old Big 12. It's like an Oklahoma-Texas-Red River, Red River rivalry game. 65-55 final. 38-31. Over 70 points scored in yesterday's game. But when I look on the defensive side of the ball for Washington, Cam Curl, beautiful strip in that first half. Forcing a fumble on Philadelphia's tush-push? Good! Love to see Washington be the first team to stop the tush-push. Who the hell cares about the tush-push? Who cares? But I love to see Washington force a turnover on that play inside the red zone. They made some plays yesterday. But overall... Wasn't enough. And as you move into that second half, where, again, Washington was up 17-10. The fourth and fourth drop, Devontae Smith, was that a catch? Was it not? It wasn't a catch. The ball hit the ground and it was moving. Remember, the ball can hit the ground, but if you have full control with both hands on either side, they're not going to call it incomplete. But in that play, that fourth and four, that was huge. Philadelphia scored on that drive. It just makes me think about later in the game, Jahan Dotson's third and five. Was it a catch? Was it not? I believed it was a catch. Not being biased, but I saw a catch. And what's weird about that play was Darius Slay, corner for the Eagles, went down 
and they reviewed that play from New York. They said New York called in and called it incomplete. It was not under two minutes where it initiates a booth review, automatic. If there's any questions, they booth review it from New York. It wasn't under two minutes. So they call it, it was complete. Then they call it incomplete from New York, and then Washington has to challenge the call. Funky there. A little bit of funky there, right? So those are things where the refs get involved. I mean, sure, you could talk about Devontae Smith's drop in that first half where Ron Rivera should have challenged. He said there was no review on the big board and he just didn't have enough evidence to throw the challenge flag. But the best teams in football challenge that play quickly. Get the red flag out. Force the refs to look at it. Because again, cost yourself points on that drive. But I love the resilience of Washington in the second half because Philly started to get going. You go down 24-17. Where A.J. Brown caught that touchdown over Emmanuel Forbes and Quarren Martin, by the way, combined yesterday for 10 snaps. You guys heard the comments from Daryl Green, I'm assuming, before yesterday's game. If you didn't, I'll read them out for you right now. Is Daryl Green on the advice that he would give Emmanuel Forbes right now in his point of his career. Quote, I'm very interested in Forbes. I've had conversations about him. Truthfully, I can help him in 10 minutes. I'm going to cross a line and he's not getting the help that he should get. That's all I'm going to say about that. End quote. From Washington Redskins legend, Daryl Green. One of the best corners to ever play the game. One of the most underrated defensive players really to ever play the game. Emmanuel Forbes struggled yesterday. And again, he played five snaps. And he allowed a touchdown against A.J. Brown. Why is Emmanuel Forbes on A.J. Brown? Again, in man. And that touchdown A.J. Brown had over both Forbes and Martin was really just, here's Washington's two top 50 picks. Again, combined for 10 defensive snaps yesterday. We are moving into week nine, guys. I don't know where to go with Forbes and Martin. I don't know. You guys have heard me make my praises for Emmanuel Forbes because the talent is there. I think he's in his head a lot. He hasn't had any success the last month of the year. He's not playing. And when he is, he's getting thrown at. And there's really no improvement. Why he was thrown out there by Del Rio to play man again on A.J. Brown, I do not know. Why Kendall Fuller and St. Jusa didn't travel as they did most of the game in that situation, I do not know. Because it was really the A.J. Brown show yesterday. I get it. A.J. Brown, look, 130 yards, two touchdowns. Devonta Smith had 99 yards. But outside of those two guys, from a receiver's perspective, Julio Jones had one catch. Olamide Zacchaeus had one catch. That's their offense. Devonta Smith, A.J. Brown, Kendall Fuller, Benjamin St. Just. Rotate. Whatever side they line on, follow them. But then it comes down to, you. Well, then why'd you draft Emmanuel Forbes on day one? Well, they thought that the turnover margin, he'd help them win that. He's got one pick. Through eight weeks. I sat here in the summer and I said, I, th- I think he'd have probably four or five, maybe take back two. Well, as of right now, that ain't going to happen. He has a lot to work on. A lot to work on. And I don't know during the week what they're doing with him, both on a chalkboard and when they're out of practice, what they're consistently working on with Washington's first round pick. And at the end of the day, Washington still does need corner help. Do they go there day one 
in the draft. Because right now, they have the 10th overall pick in the 2024 NFL draft sitting here at 3-5. and five, Where they could be in a position to grab a Kool-Aid McKinstry, corner from Alabama. A Cooper DeGene, corner from Iowa. A Denzel Burke, corner from Ohio State. Kamari Lassiter, corner from Georgia, who most likely will not be a first-round pick. But those are the names to know for next year. For next spring. It's almost next spring. It's, it's, it's late October already. It's a couple months away, guys. April is not too far away, if you think about it. But drafting two guys in the secondary, now moving into, now completion of the second quarter of the season. With 10 combined snaps in Week 8, a divisional game at home is not good. And every time, specifically, Emmanuel Forbes is on the field, he's being attacked. And there's no improvement there. So I wish the best for the kid. Want him to improve, but I do not coach for the commanders. I do not scout for the commanders. But I do study this team. And I study their players. And I study the draft class. And who they add each and every year. And I know these players. The talent is there, and I promise you guys that. The instincts. The willingness to attack in the run. The willingness to play inside the contact window with length. Length. The willingness to bait quarterbacks into bad decisions and turnover-worthy plays. All of those things are there within Emmanuel Forbes' game. But we're just not seeing it right now. And how long is the leash? Because if Ron Rivera isn't here moving into 2024, and there's a new regime in town, who knows if Martin May who's going to be here either? Because he's the individual that's drafted these players over the last few years. These are his guys. And Washington has not had a ton of production from their rookie class. Not just this year, moving into years past. It's good to see Phil Mathis out there yesterday. Haven't seen him since week one of 2022 against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they won at home to open the year last year. He recovered the tush-push fumble at the goal line. Good for him making a play. Didn't have a lot of work, but it was in there rotationally alongside John Ridgway. On the edge, Chase and Montez were really invisible for most of the game. Montez made a couple plays here and there. I want to tip my cap to Casey Tuhill. I don't think he gets enough attention. He can run. He's really good in the edge and setting the edge. And he consistently creates pressure when he can, when he gets snaps. He's only on the field for about 25, 30% of the defensive snaps every week. But when he's out there, he makes plays. So there were a lot of positives from yesterday's game, which excite me about the potential of this specific young offense and the changes that they've made and adjustments that they made specifically within the offensive line, and the approach from Eric Bieniemy, getting the ball out of Sam Howell's quick, out of his hands quickly yesterday, excuse me, screens, slants, timing routes, crossers in space. I loved it. And then calculated deep shots down the field, let him sling it a little bit because he can. But overall, lost a football game. You lost a football game in your division. And you lost a football game at home. And you're still the only team in the NFC East without a divisional win. And these next two games specifically against New England and Seattle, by the way, both on the road. So you got to go up to New England, come back home, and then you got to go across the country to the Pacific Northwest and see the Seahawks, who are playing well right now. Not perfect. They beat Cleveland yesterday, 24-20 at home. So they're continuing to win football games. But where does Washington go 
from here, from a roster perspective and a defensive perspective, is where my focus is for this football team. Offensively, I like what I've seen. You guys know my thoughts there. You watched the game yesterday. You've seen Sam Howell when he gets a little bit of time. He's got some talent. He can rip it a little bit and they can score some points. But you cannot allow teams to score consistently 30-plus a game. Their defense is allowing nearly a historic pace from a franchise perspective. Points allowed in a season. Another 38 allowed yesterday. Now, in, in both games this year, Washington scored 31 against Philadelphia, both home and away. I'll take that every single day of the week against a very talented Eagles defense. That we also saw Kevin Byard out there yesterday, their newly acquired safety from the Titans. It was more of the Sidney Brown show, rookie from Illinois. Same secondary as Quan Martin. He was everywhere yesterday within that secondary for them. Rookie, again, from Illinois. Safety, flying downhill in the run game and really good in the passing game as well. And he's not a guy that came out of Illinois that was super smooth in coverage. He was more of that downhill physical type of uh, defender that lives in the box and isn't afraid to stick his face in the mud at the line of scrimmage. Saw that a bunch yesterday. He cracked Terry McLaurin, I believe it was, over the middle of the field. Terry got right up. That's Terry McLaurin. Doesn't matter. But he plays with that type of violence behind his pads. As a rookie, again, from Illinois, in that secondary, as a day-two pick, just like Juan Martin was. Not saying here or there, you take that player, take that player. Doesn't work like that in football. Different schemes fit different players in different environments. But this defense continues to falter and not dominate football games as they did at times last year. I just have not seen it. And I don't see improvement. Jack Del Rio placing guys in inopportune situations and scenarios and one-on-one opportunities that they shouldn't be in. Sending four, they're not getting home. I don't see any unique actions, simulated pressures from the front seven. I haven't seen Cam Curl come off the edge in weeks. I don't know if they can't do that because Cam Curl is as good as he is at the second level. I don't know. But changes have to come on the defensive side of the football, whether it's from a coaching perspective, a scheme perspective, or the personnel that's running your scheme. But for me, and as it always does, it does start at the top. I know they're not out there playing, but it starts at the top. And there is way too much talent on Washington's defensive side of the football to be allowing teams to score 30-plus nearly every single week. Not acceptable. And ultimately lost in that football game yesterday because they could not keep the Eagles off the field. A couple times here and there where they had a series where they forced a punt. Good. But as a whole yesterday, it was not good. Especially as you moved into the back end of that second half. You needed stops and you couldn't get them. Of course, I understand the pick from Sam Howell was not at an opportune time. Of course, Philadelphia gets their first sack of the game on a fourth and five. Andrew Wiley gets beat by Hassan Reddick. Of course he did. Of course it happened on that 4th and 5, right after the Jahan Dotson quote-unquote drop. It also wasn't good on that series. Back-to-back plays from Terry McLaurin, 3rd and 8, 4th and 8. Drops from him. Cannot happen. Both those balls should be caught from number 17. He will tell you that. I get Sam Howell after the game was taking responsibility and saying, I got to give him a better chance to catch the football. I understand that. But not every throw can be perfect, and the ball was plenty good enough for Terry McLaurin and the athlete and ball player that he is 
to make a catch on the to make that catch. Because he made a similar catch on the next drive. But overall, guys, I'm taking a lot of positives away from this football game. Focusing on the offensive side of the football and the relationship of Sam Howell and Eric Bieniemy, and how Sam Howell has continued to prove when he just has a sliver of time that he is the guy for this offense moving forward with the skilled players and relationships and rapport that he's developing with everybody, not just Logan Thomas over the middle of the field. It's the skill players on the perimeter, not just Terry Jahan and Curtis. We saw Jamison Crowder nearly reach over 100 yards yesterday in the receiving game. We saw Byron Pringle deep shot down the field. That you would say Sam wants that throw back. He had a throw to Terry McLaurin before he hit Logan Thomas over the middle of the field in the end zone. Throw that he would like back when he didn't hit Terry. Just take a little bit off. Again, to Pringle and to Terry. That's potentially two touchdowns right there that, that we left on the field. But, of course, again, missed Terry on that one drive, but then hit Logan for a touchdown. But every single week when I see Sam get a little bit of time, he showcases his ability to dissect defenses. Not asking the front five to be perfect. Sacks are going to happen. I love Sam's awareness yesterday inside the pocket. When he had to escape to get even an extra three or four yards, he did. Wasn't really escaping and looking around, just kind of standing there shuffling his feet left to right as far as where the guys are coming from. I see an alley, I'm going to attack it. For young quarterbacks, trying to stay inside the hashes when you're climbing the pocket is the best thing to do instead of escaping outside the hashes where you're then you're going to with the more athletic edge rushers and their ability to chase east to west. Watch Joe Burrow since he's coming from LSU, his ability to consistently divert pressure and move away from pressure and climb the pocket, staying inside the hashes. It's outstanding to watch. Again, not every protection is going to be perfect, but the way in which Washington operated from the front five to the quarterback position to the perimeter, how it all correlates, was beautiful yesterday. And I like I would like to see more of it. Because at the end of the day, I did not expect Washington to just lose five games this year. Did I expect them to lose five in eight weeks? No. But here we are. And this is what we've seen from Ron Rivera to, under his tutelage since he's been in town. This is year four. Sub-500 to 500 football. And now you are two games below 500. With some damn good teams coming up on the horizon. But overall... Lots and lots of positives from yesterday's football game stemming from Sam Howell and his ability to prove that he is the guy moving forward for this offense with just a little bit of time and the dynamic athletes that he has in the perimeter and Eric Bieniemy's ability to scheme them open week to week. And I just absolutely love to see it. So 31 points. Again, it wasn't enough to get the win, but I'll take 31 every single day against the talent and that veteran leadership the operational schematic congruency. There's some dictionary words for you that they show week to week. I'll take it every damn day of the week. So that's going to do it for today's episode. Again, hope you guys enjoyed. We're on all podcast platforms. If you don't follow me already on Twitter, I'm at underscore Ryan Fowler. My written work is housed at Bleacher Report. And I will have a podcast out for you guys on Friday to preview the New England Patriots, a team that look different than what we've seen, obviously, in years past, even with Mac Jones understanding what we saw with Brady. 
Not the Patriots of old, but we were going to get into their full roster, offense, defense, special teams, what to expect from them, who they are offensively, where they make their money, where they will look to attack Washington's defense. And then we will look into their defensive line, their secondary that lost Christian Gonzalez for the year. Again, rookie corner, first rounder out of Oregon. They took him right after Washington took Emmanuel Forbes. We're going to get into everything New England Patriots again on Friday. So hope you guys enjoy your week. Washington is now 3-5. and five. They're 0 and 3 in the division with a matchup against the now 2 and 6 New England Patriots, but it's at home, it's in Foxborough, and you know that the Patriots will be prepared to play. It doesn't matter who they play. Again, two weeks ago, they beat the Buffalo Bills. They will be prepared to play, and it's not going to be easy to go in there and get a win. But this could be a must, you could say this is a must win game for Washington. Now, we will see what happens these next few days, guys. Trade deadline. It's going to be interesting. There's expected to be a move or two from Washington at the deadline. You heard Ron Rivera pregame to yesterday's game. Talk about this was a massive game towards the future of this team. Well, if you start to sell off everybody, there needs to be some decisions as well made as far as who's making those decisions. Both head coach, right now defensive coordinator, specific coaches positionally, and Martin Mayhew as well. As far as the decisions of drafting these guys, bringing in these guys as free agents. Those are those decisions, these questions that we have to have answered. Because you're three and five. And you go to three and six, and then you got to go to Seattle. Quickly, you're quickly, potentially in the basement of the NFC East, and really struggling as a franchise to find your face. Because then you're going to quickly be in a rebuild again. A state of the franchise that really this organization has been in for decades on end that you guys know about. So we'll see what happens this week as far as moves. I will talk to you guys again on Friday to preview the New England Patriots. It's on to New England, and it's on to Seattle following that. Eagles are in the past. We faced them twice now. We still have yet to face Dallas. Still have to face New York. So, again, I know you guys aren't happy. You're frustrated. Yesterday's game was extremely frustrating as far as how Washington continues to shoot themselves in the foot. And the bottom line, guys, the main narrative is until Washington stops beating themselves, they won't be able to beat anybody. So always appreciate you guys tuning in. I'll talk to you on Friday. I am Ryan Fowler, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.